0: Uh, So, perfect. Here I am. Hello, everybody. Uh, So, my name's Fred. You might not know much about me. You might not know me. I am not a pastor here. I don't work here. I am a city planner by trade, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about cities. So, I like cities, but I also like the Word of God a whole lot. Um, And so, I feel completely privileged here. Today to look at this beautiful book, right? We are looking at 2 Timothy. Uh, And you can go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verse number 8. And I guess before we get started, it's just a couple of things that I would like to sort of bring out here Eric opened the book to us last week and some of the things about it is this is just an intensely personal letter right this is Paul's last letter before he dies right and it's written to a guy who's probably his most trusted associate right these guys had been working together for like 15 years and like as I've been studying this it's been amazing to me to realize like Paul wrote nine letters to churches. Timothy is mentioned by name in seven of them, right? That's amazing. He's a co-author I think of five of them. Right? Paul wrote 13 letters altogether. Timothy's mentioned in 10. Right? Two of them were to him. Right? That's amazing. And I think that as we look at Timothy, right, a lot of times we can sort of think, oh, uh, Eric brought it up last week, timid Timothy. The thing is, this dude was a stud. And the amazing thing, too, was he had infirmities, right? He had infirmities. And yet, he was used mightily by God, right? Right? They worked together for years. So anyways, I guess I sort of bring that up because what we are reading is not just a book of the Bible. Right? This is like a personal communication. It's beautiful. Right? So let's look at it like that. Let's see it like that. Right? That's my hope for today. So anyways... Uh, What we saw last week is we saw Eric bring up the promise of life at the start of the book, right? And then he brought up how Paul says, uh, I remember you in my prayers. I remember your tears. I remember your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And then he says, I remind you to fan into flame. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. I am. I, I remind you, fan into flame this spirit-empowered ministry, right? So that's what we saw last week. Uh, and as we get into this week's study, we're going to really see two sets of exhortations, right? Uh, and boy, if I can... Oh yeah, so... We'll see two sets of exhortations. One is, do not be ashamed, but share with me in suffering for the gospel and keep the pattern of sound words. Guard the good deposit. And I think when we read this normally, that's like, dude, that's what we focus on, right? We tend to go directly to the commands, right? Oh yeah, okay. I'm gonna do not be ashamed. I'm gonna share and we try and focus on the commands. But I think what we see here is those commands are rooted in something that's the gospel, right? Because of God's own purpose and grace, right? He says, I suffer, but I am not ashamed, for I know God, and I am convinced. And so what I would like to focus on today is not on those two sets of commands, I would like to try and get at the root of what Paul was trying to show to Timothy, right? This, he has called us not according to our works. He's saved us not according to our works. He saved us because of his own purpose, and grace, right? So what we're going to break this section into is essentially three parts. Do not be ashamed. But share with me in suffering for the gospel. Keep the pattern of sound words. Guard the good deposit. And then at the end of the chapter, it's going to be uh, the ashamed and the unashamed. So let's go ahead and stand up. And just read God's word together. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse number 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior. Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard and tell that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among who are by jealous and Hermogenes. may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant Him mercy, or wait, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So go ahead and sit down. So I guess I'm just going to pray real quick because I could probably use some prayer. Lord God, this is such a sweet text, and I just pray that. Um, that everyone here might see it, and that we might glorify you as a result, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the whole section starts off with Paul telling Timothy to not be ashamed, right? And really, I think it's like, do not become ashamed, right? And some of the Greek... uh, The the Greek uh, uh, scholars say it's do not become ashamed. And I think it makes sense. Because I want you to understand, if we remember where Paul met Timothy, it was on the first missionary journey, likely, right? Where Paul went into Lystra, and he's teaching, and he heals a dude who's lame in the feet. Rise up and walk. And you remember what happens. All the people are like, the gods have come down in human form. Right? And they're running around. All of this sort of stuff. They're going to sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas, they realize it. They tear off their clothes. We're men like you. What are you doing? Right? And then some Jews come from another community. And they rile up the crowd. And then they stone Paul. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city. There's a group of people who are standing around Paul, and he pops up, and he goes back into the city, right? That was Timothy's hometown, right? And when he visits again, he goes back later in the trip. They went to the next community, and then they loop around, and they come back through the community, and it says... They went back into the city. They returned later in the trip. It says that they strengthened the souls of the disciples. They encouraged them to continue in the faith. And they said that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That is the faith that Timothy grew up in, right? That's the faith that he grew up in. And then on the second trip, Paul goes back to that community, right? There's some believers there, and they say, hey, we got this young believer, Timothy. We think you should take him along, right? And you remember when he, he gets circumcised so he can be more effective along the, on the mission field, right? This is Timothy, right? And so they continue on, they continue on. The first, They go through the entire length of Turkey. Right? They're trying to find places to do ministry. They keep on going. They eventually get to the end of Turkey. And Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, right? Come over here and teach us. Right? And so they go over to Macedonia. The first community that they go into is Philippi. And they get arrested. Uh, Paul and Silas get arrested. They get thrown into prison. They get beaten and thrown into prison. Right? Right? This is what Timothy, the ministry experience that Timothy grew up in, right? And the next community they go to is Thessalonica. And after preaching in the synagogue for three weeks, they get thrown out of the the community, right? The next one that they go to is Berea. They get thrown out of there too. And the amazing thing is that at that point, Timothy gets sent back into Thessalonica. This is... The thing, Timothy was with Paul in Corinth, right? When they took him before the, the, the judge, right? He was in Ephesus. He was in Troas when Eutychus fell out the window, right? He went back with Paul to Jerusalem when Paul was going back and he was ultimately arrested. He was probably in the city of Jerusalem when Paul was arrested. And the amazing thing is we even see timothy with paul in the first roman imprisonment when he's writing the philippians and look at what it says in the book of philippians it says for i have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are of christ jesus but you know his timothy's proven character that as a son with his father he has served with me in the gospel. Right? That's Philippians chapter 2, verse number 20. Now I bring this all up because in this hardship of over 15 years together almost, thousands of miles traveled, multiple imprisonments, Timothy had not been ashamed. And so when we see this, do not be ashamed, it's more like, dude, do not become ashamed. Right? Sure, people are leaving me. Sure, I'm back in jail again. But guess what? Do not become ashamed, Timothy. Right? Share with me in sufferings according to the power of God. And this is where it gets super cool. He then roots... His and Timothy's suffering and shame and the eternal purpose of God. Right? See, God uh, had enlisted them as, part- as active participants in this, right? I want you to see the structure of this section. Uh, <laughs> uh, Steve and Jake... And uh, Eric and I went to this Bible training thing uh, last year, and at it they they were talking about something called a chiasm, right? Which things are parallel as you sort of go down, and then when you look at the very center of the thing, you get the key point. And so in this one, the key point is right there. Come on, pointer. Ah, it worked before. Is because of his own purpose and grace. Now, I bring that up because, you know, when we were at that thing, it felt so convoluted because people were finding these chiasms everywhere. They're like, oh, look, I found another chiasm. And it's so funny because when I was looking at this section, I'm like, there's a chiasm right in the center of this thing. Right? I want you to see it because this it reveals the emphasis of what Paul is saying. Check out how it says. It says, do not be ashamed, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel. Right? He saved us and called us with a holy calling. This is our calling, right? And then he says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And then check out what he says, to which I was appointed, I suffer but I am not ashamed, right? I want you to see that because essentially this is what he's saying. Timothy, be willing to suffer and I suffer, right? Use your role, like embrace your role, right? I have embraced my role. And the reason that I've been able to do that is because of his own purpose and grace, because of God's own purpose and grace, right? That's the emphasis of this whole section. And I want you to see it, because it's huge. And so often I think that when we look at stuff like this, we focus on the commands. But the ultimate power of the commands comes from the gospel. Right? You guys get that? Maybe an illustration will help. Should I use a baseball illustration or a frisbee illustration? Frisbee? Frisbee? Frisbee. (laughs) All right, frisbee illustration. All right. Uh, so if you, if you throw a frisbee, how do you throw a frisbee? If you want it to go far, you kind of go like this, right? No, you got to use more than your arm, right? You got to get some momentum. You got to get some force behind it, right? And so you got to wham, right? If you just go like this, it's not going to go very far, right? Like that. The baseball illustration is I'm teaching baseball, Right? And I'm trying to teach kids how to hit, and so often kids will go up there and they'll go like that. I'm like, dude, you need to get your whole body into it. You need to shift your weight, right? You need to explode on the baseball, right? The reason that I bring that up is because that's what Paul is doing here. He's rooting these commands in the weight of the gospel, right? 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 You guys get that? That is like seriously what is supposed to drive why we're doing these things, right? It's the weight of the gospel. And I want you to see how amazing this is. Look at this, what Paul is saying here. He says, dude, Timothy, your work and my work are rooted in the eternal plan of God. That plan was crafted before the ages began. Right? It's now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and revealed to us how we might have abundant life forever. Right? Look at the weight and the force of what Paul is communicating here. He says it's been given to us in Christ before the ages began, manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought to no effect death, and he revealed life and immortality. Right? See, the amazing thing is when we look at that, I was just re- te- recently teaching Ephesians, uh, right at the start, and it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right? And just made me think, oh, my goodness. It just And I meditated on that for a long time, and you sort of get thinking about it, and you're like, oh, my goodness. If he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world, then he knew I would sin. He knew I would rebel from before he even created the world. And it sort of forced me to ask the question, then why did he create? Right? If he knew that, I would sin and I would rebel. And the answer that I came to is because he wanted to be with me. Right? It just shifts the whole emphasis of creation. It's not like somehow that we caused the ball to be fumbled. No, he had this in mind forever from before the ages began, right? And then what Paul is saying is, dude, he's manifested it now. He revealed it. He brought it to light through the appearing of Jesus, right? Who brought, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Now, I'll just say, We have these truths every day for our edification and for our instruction in righteousness. This is the gospel, right? This is the gospel that God cares so much for us that he not only created us, he intervened in our mess to redeem us, to recreate us, right? It's amazing, right? And not only that, we have been called to share And share this good news, right? This is what Paul is telling to Timothy. Dude, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, right? He says, I was appointed to this. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher, right? We, too, have that role. So my questions for you are, to what degree do we see our lives rooted in the purpose and grace of God? To us Christians, to what degree do we see our lives as rooted in the purpose and grace of God? And to what degree have our roles in life and our conduct grown out of this purpose? Out of his purpose, right? How about uh, this question? To what degree does the purpose and grace of God influence our job choices how we do our work, who we talk to. Do we talk to sinners? Right? Do we talk to people different than us? Right? Jesus did. Right? He came to save. Right? Are we doing the work to to save? Right? Right? I'll just say, if we are rooted in Christ and the truth that God worked in ages past to save us from our sin and certain death, it should fundamentally cause a realignment of our lives. Right? I'll just ask the question for any non-Christians in the room. What have you rooted your lives upon? Right? We see Paul in prison, near death, Rejoicing in life, right? (laughs) Rejoicing in life. We see him rejoicing in the plan of God, even though he is his prisoner, right? And I'll just say, non-Christian, what have you rooted your life upon? What are you willing to suffer and die for? I just bring it up because, man, I wasn't always a Christian, And that question right there was what drove me. Like, I just, there was nothing that I was willing to die for. Not family, not country, not my job, not any sort of ideology. It Just nod at me. What would I be willing to be bold about? And I didn't have an answer. Right? So I'll just say, Nothing will be able to provide a basis to live as boldly or live as courageously to love people like Christ, right? I would just encourage any non-Christians here to accept him, right? He will transform your life, right? He didn't mind. Now, before I go on, I just want to note this. A couple of weeks ago, Eric and I were looking at this section, and he brought up the point that life and immortality are two things, right? Because you see them both in the the section, right? He abolished death, and he brought life and immortality to light, right? And he made the point that life there is not eternal life. (laughs) And I so appreciate that because, you know, so often we look at life, And we think eternal life, right? And I just want to say, it doesn't make sense if it's eternal life. The word there is zoe, which means full life. It means life! It means life! And I just think it's so beautiful because Jesus did not just come to give us eternal life. He came to give us abundant life. He came to give us full life, good life. Right? And I just love that. He came to give us life abundantly and immortality. Right? So it's sweet. So, anyways, continuing on, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed, but join me in suffering. I suffer, but I am not ashamed. And then he transitions out of this chiasm here. He says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He encourages him. He says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me, and faith and love that are in Jesus, in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now seriously, of all the lines in this passage... This is the one that gets me. I just love this line. He says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. See, Paul is saying, dude, though he's in chains, though his life is about to be poured out as a drink offering, he's like, I know Whom I have believed. I know him. Right? It's not book knowledge. Right? It's not book knowledge. He's not like, dude, I read some books about Jesus. I know him. Give me a test. No. This is personal knowledge of Jesus. Dude, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced, right, that he is able to guard. Right? I just think it's amazing... Now, I will note that there are some translations that translate this section a little different. Uh, the New King James, which I normally read out of, translates it, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed him until that day. That What does the NASB read? Anybody? NASB? Anybody? Anybody? Right, and so the ESV translates it, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what he committed me. Now, okay, uh, what does all that mean? I've looked at a whole bunch of different commentaries, and literally it's like 50-50. It seems like everybody says one thing or the other. Either Paul is entrusting his ministry and life to God to guard or God is guarding the ministry that had been entrusted to Paul. And after looking at the section at a whole bunch, ultimately I don't really think that it matters a whole ton because either way, God is the one that's guarding, right? Either way, God's the one that's guarding it. But I will say that I do like the ESV version more and that's why I'm teaching out of this today, the ESV, because there it says... uh, It says, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what he committed me. Right? I think that translation makes more sense based on his following comment to Timothy. To guard what was entrusted to him. See, it seems to me that Paul is making it clear that though he is departing the scene, he knows that God's gospel ministry is going to continue. Right? Right? He knows that all of this stuff is going to continue on, right? What is that song that we sing? You can bury the workmen, but the work will go on, right? And I honestly think that that's what Paul is saying here, right? He's encouraging Timothy that based on all of that, hey, dude, follow the pattern of sound words, right? Guard, using God's spirit, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's like, Timothy, know the purpose of God and continue. The Lord will not fail. Right? So when we see the entirety of this section, I want you guys to see this, because this is what I ultimately think is going on here. It says, God's purpose and grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It was manifested by the appearing of Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light and then check it out, and it will be guarded by Christ Jesus until the day of his return. Right? dude, he's got us. The Lord's purposes are not going to fail. Right? They're just not. Nothing will foil that purpose. So based on all of that, he's saying, dude, Timothy, align your life and your ministry in accord with that. Right? That would encourage us to do the same. That's my encouragement today. Let's align our life and ministry in accord with that. Now check this out. Section continues, says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are phagellus and Hermogenes. I'm on verse 16 now. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So in this section, we see two groups of people, right? We see the, uh, the folks from Asia, uh, which was like Turkey, who turned away. And we see Onesiphorus, right? We see those who are ashamed of Paul's imprisonment and the one <laughs> who wasn't. And in these two illustrations, we see what a, a shame life is. An unashamed life looks like, right? All those in Asia turned away when the going got tough, right? And did not, right? He went toward danger rather than going away, right? I just want you to note that, like, I tried to find out how far Ephesus is from Rome. It's like 800 plus miles! <laughs> Seriously, dude. And the the incredible thing is, too, that Paul was probably there not as some just general prisoner. He was probably a political prisoner at that point, right? (laughs) This was not a safe situation that he's going to. And imagine Onesiphorus as he's there. He's going through the city, which he does not know. He's knocking on all sorts of doors. I'm looking for a prisoner named Paul, right? That is bold, right? That's bold. That's what unashamed, unashamed looks like. And it says that he refreshed Paul and his chains. Now, I just want to say, I mean, seriously, we could look at these examples and say, man, I wouldn't be like one of those people from Asia that <laughs> turned away when the going got tough. I'd be more like Onesiphorus, right? I just want to say that the level of persecution that these people from Asia we probably experiencing was probably greater than anything they'd ever been up to, uh, through to that point, or anything that we've ever experienced. Right? <laughs> I mean, after all, these people from Asia had seen Paul in his first Roman imprisonment. Obviously, things had gotten a little worse. And so, when we seriously look at it, we're seriously honest With ourselves, we might be similarly tempted to turn away when the going gets tough, right? If we're truly honest, sometimes in basic conversations, we even don't hold the truth as tightly as we should, right? I mean, how (laughs) comfortable does anyone feel telling somebody that they're a sinner? How How comfortable does anybody feel to say, Hey, you know what? Uh... God has called everyone everywhere to repent. (laughs) Right? Sometimes we just don't hold the truth as tightly as we should. How comfortable are we telling somebody that one day God will come to judge the living and the dead? Right? I just want to say, let's not be ashamed like that right let's live boldly right i just want you to see that paul was not ashamed onesiphorus wasn't ashamed but let us realize seriously that the strength of our being able to be unashamed is because we had a god who was unashamed of calling us his people right that's the gospel Right? You guys realize that, right? It says that God was unashamed of us. (laughs) Though we were sinful. Though we were rebellious. Right? He gave his son so that we might be his children. That's amazing. Right? And the amazing thing is, too, that we have a Savior who it says in the book of Hebrews is not ashamed to call us his brethren. Right? His brothers and sisters. Though when he came to the scene, light came into the world. We treated him like garbage, right? Because our deeds were evil, right? (laughs) We didn't believe. We mocked him. We put him on a cross, right? He died for us, right? He was not ashamed to call us brothers, and sisters. He endured the shame of the cross, carrying our sins, so that we might live unashamed before God and man. He tasted death so we wouldn't have to. He gave his life so that we might have life. Right? So let's not be ashamed because God was not ashamed of us. Let's not be ashamed because it's been the plan of God from before the ages began to save, right? And we have been called to be part of this good news. So seriously, let's embrace it, right? Let's embrace what we've been given. Let's rejoice in the truth that, as the book of Hebrews says, let's Lay aside every weight, and the sandwich clings so closely. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the band can come up, and I'll just say, seriously... In conclusion, let's root ourselves in these fundamental truths of God's purpose and grace about his working in the past and his ability to guard even now. Let's not be ashamed, but let's share in suffering, right? Let's hold fast to the pattern of sound words that we've been taught, right? Let's, by the Holy Spirit, guard the the good deposit entrusted to each one of us. But let's always remember that the, base of the basis of that work, the strength is not in our work. It's not in our effort. We're not swinging with our arms. We're using the entire power of God behind us, right? Let's remember that. The root by which we get these strengths lies in the purpose and grace of God right which was given to us long ago. So let us live faithfully, reminding ourselves of these truths that we might live in accord with that purpose by his grace and for his glory. So for the benediction, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So, uh, I guess, Creekside, go this week. Let's be bold for the gospel. Let's always remember what we've been given, right? What precious truths that have saved us, right? Let's go be bold about it, right? In Jesus' name, amen.